Hello, this is episode 30 of the Cognitive Gamer Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Blessing, professor of cognitive psychology at the University of Tampa. I use games to both explain and explore concepts in psychology. It's been a little while since the last episode, and you can probably guess why. I was already running a little late in getting this episode out, and my wife and I were planning on recording another interview-type episode about the psychological concept of theory of mind as we were working on a project relating to that in playing games. We were going to record an episode during our spring break, the first week of March, but then COVID-19 happened in a big way, and halfway through our spring break, we were notified our campus was going entirely online for an indefinite period. So we had to prepare for that. Then we were notified about a week after that that the entire semester was online. It's been quite a transition, as I'm sure it has been for all you. Thanks for your patience. If you've been listening for a while, you've probably heard me mention a course that I teach called the Cognition of Game Playing. It's a pretty basic introduction to cognitive psychology, but we talk and learn about cognitive psych concepts by playing games. Lots of different types of games, both video games and board games. I've taught it both as a semester-long course in the fall semester and also as a short two-week course in our May term. I'm slated to teach it again this May for the fourth time. Even before our spring break, when everything started to really go south, I was already worried about how I could do a class that centered on board games with all the shared pieces that get touched, given how the news reports were coming in. I didn't know exactly what I might do. But once the administration decided that the rest of the spring semester was going to be online, they also then decided the May and summer semesters were also going to be online as well. We were given the option if we wanted to continue teaching our summer courses or to just cancel them. I loved doing the class so much that I wanted to figure out a way to do it, and I saw it as a challenge to see how it could be done online. It's often said that constraints can bring out creativity in people, and I wanted to see how my course could be done in an online environment. For the summer courses in particular, we are encouraged to make sure that the course has a synchronous component in addition to asynchronous. For all of us thrust in online learning this past month over all education levels, that's been a big decision point. How to conduct our classes? Do we have students all log in at the same time through something like Zoom and conduct our classes that way, synchronously? Or do we record a material and have other ways to connect with our students that doesn't involve us all doing it at the same time or asynchronously? Both have their pros and cons. Given the nature of my current courses and my students, whose lives have been turned all topsy-turvy in a very unexpected manner, I've been doing most things asynchronously to give them the flexibility to interact with the material as they are able. We, have, we had the first seven weeks of the semester to establish a connection with, with each other, and so we can lean into that as we go through the last half of the semester. But for the summer, we will be starting out entirely online, so establishing a connection through synchronous means will be important. And we only have two weeks anyways. I've had to do a lot of thinking about how to rearrange my course to meet this new reality. In the past, we would do more traditional in-class activities like lecture, discussion, and demos interspersed with playing a variety of different games, mostly board games, but some video games. How to replicate all that in an online format. Much of the lecture stuff I'm still going to do asynchronously as I think that works out pretty good for, the, for that type of material. I break it up into small chunks and they will be able to do that on their own time. But I'm planning on a couple of hours that will be synchronous each day where we do demos, have discussion, and play games. It's the playing games that I'm finding extremely interesting to think about and experiment with and that I wanted to share here, of course. 
And in the end, I'm going to ask for some suggestions from you all. I'm finding it a rewarding challenge how to provide this type of interaction for my students and incorporate it with the teaching of cognitive psychology, all while hitting the concepts that we cover in the course. Before I get into the specifics for what I'm going to do in my course, let me share with you some thoughts I had during one of my morning runs. Back in episode 13, I talked about Don Norman's classic book, The Design of Everyday Things, originally called The Psychology of Everyday Things. That one is pretty well known in a variety of different circles. That was his first popular press book written in 1988, and he has written a few other books after that one. I was thinking about one of those while running and how it relates to what I've been thinking about as I've considered how to do games in my May term course. This later book came out in 1999 and is called The Invisible Computer. The main idea of The Invisible Computer, and forgive me if I lose some of the neurons because my book is back at my university office, which I can't go to right now, but the big idea that Norman talked about is that computers and computer interfaces shouldn't get in the way. They should allow their users to get whatever they want done without making a nuisance of themselves. If an interface calls attention to itself, it's probably too hard to use, and that's a bad thing. He was calling for making computers intuitive, invisible if you will, and really arguing for simpler information appliances that tried not to be all things to all people. It's worth it to point out that this was before smartphones and voice assistants like Alexa and Siri. At this point, perhaps that thesis seems obvious, but back in the late 1990s, there were a lot of complex interfaces, and I still see places today where the interfaces get in the way. I think remote controls for entertainment devices still aren't great, as you often have to know which source or mode devices need to be in to watch a DVD versus to watch cable, and it's confusing. We've used the Harmony remotes by Logitech for a number of years in my family, and they make things more invisible by organizing how they work by function, so there's a watch DVD button that knows how to set everything up depending upon what the activity currently is. Also, direct manipulation interfaces, like the stripes and pinches that you can do on a smartphone screen, and that natural language that you can sort of kind of use with Alexa goes some way to making computers fade into the background, but there's still a ways to go. At any rate, I was thinking about these sorts of things as I was running because I was thinking about how I was going to have my students play games while we are all remote. I have recently ran across a website called BoardGameArena.com that allows you to play a fair number of great board games online. They have licensed versions of things like Carcassonne, Seven Wonders, King Domino, Love Letter, and others. Every semester I've done my Cognition of Game Playing course, I've had my students play Carcassonne, and each semester it comes out as a favorite game. It's simple to teach, but there's enough com- cognitive complexity that it gives us something to discuss, and there's also the visual imagery component as you picture where to place your piece, rotating it in your mind's eye, and envisioning it in different spots on the board. So I thought, great, I can have them sign up for board game arena accounts, and they can still all play Carcassonne. I believe we definitely still will do that and also play some of their other games. We can all get premium memberships for $4 that will last the time of the class. There's a chat feature we might make use of, and I think it's going to work out really pretty well for us. I've been trying it out as I figure out how best to use it in the class and to come up with the best way to introduce it to the class. It's really nice, and I appreciated playing games with people from all over the world. And, in spite of being all browser-based, the interfaces for all the games I've tried have been really good. 
The interface is pretty intuitive, and of course, they take advantage of the ability of the computer to keep track of all the fiddly business of playing games on the tabletop. And because it does that, you can play a game like Seven Wonders in almost a third of the time it takes in real life. All those quote-unquote finicky things like shuffling and scorekeeping all fade into the background because the computer handles it. That is, they become invisible. And that should be a good thing, right? Play more games in less time, not have to worry with the mundane parts of playing a game? Just like Norman suggested we want from a computer interface, all that boring stuff, the stuff that seems like it gets in the way of having fun, fades into the background. This seems like it should be the equivalent of me being able to just hit the watch DVD button on my Logitech remote and the remote control switching to the right video input on the TV and the right audio input on the soundbar without me having to remember and do it all by myself. It should just work. I love my Logitech remote because it takes care of all that stuff behind the scenes. And that's what BoardGameArena.com does. It makes sure all the tokens go to the right number of spaces on the score chart All the cards go to the right spots. No rules get overlooked. This should be perfect. But I have the nagging sense that it isn't. And this is meant as no disrespect to the people behind Board Game Arena. They have done a marvelous job. And from what I see, they have really stepped up because in the last month, the use of their services really spiked. And they have scrambled to give their users as best of an experience as possible, even as their usage has doubled, I believe, in that short time span. But for me... The experience is almost too sterile. Maybe if I was playing with friends and we had the chat services on, it would be better. But it's made me think that the fiddliness is part of what makes the board game experience what it is. That and, of course, the social interaction. Even with the chat, I don't think that's going to be the same as having your friends across the table from you. The tactile nature of games with the meeples and the tiles and the cards add to the overall experience along with having your friends around the same physical table. There's a reason why reviewers will often remark on the quality of the components, whether good or bad. That kind of stuff can add or detract from playing the game. There's a theory of emotion, an odor theory called the James Lang theory that speaks to why the tactile parts of board games is so important. The James Lang Theory of Emotion, and that's actually two names put together. It's William James, one of the first psychologists here in the United States and brother to the novelist Henry James, and Danish physician Carl Lang. William and Carl both independently developed similar theories of how our bodies experience emotion. This was back in the late 1800s, and their theory goes a bit opposite of what the average person would probably think about how emotion works. Most people will probably say that we feel emotion because something happens out in the environment, we take notice of it, and then think about how we should feel about it. Like, if we're out in the woods and we see a bear, we should feel afraid and then run away because, hey, it's a scary bear out in the woods. But, according to the James Lang theory of emotion, we feel emotion because we are paying attention to what our bodies are doing and then ascribe emotion based on that. So the visual information about the bear enters into our senses, and then because of how we are wired, our physical body reacts through our fight-or-flight response, so our pupils will dilate and our heart rate goes up, and after our body reacts, we take note of those reactions and then ascribe emotion. So James Lang would say we, are, we feel afraid because our body is reacting. There's a lot of data out there to suggest that there might be something to this, and maybe I'll go a little bit more into into depth about that in another podcast. There's a whole literature on embodiment and things like the facial feedback hypothesis. For now, 
Let it suffice for me to say that I believe we would all say there's something special about physically holding cards or rolling dice that's just not the same when a computer does it for us. Losing that physical component changes the nature of the game, and the James Lang theory speaks to that. And I'm not sure how virtual reality fits into this. I haven't tried Tabletop Simulator or Tabletopia, but I know both have their followers, and I've seen pros and cons about both of them. I can't really consider them for my class because the students won't have the right setup. But it would be interesting to see if in a 3D virtual environment where the psychological presence and immersion is amped up, way beyond just looking at a two-dimensional screen, how close the feeling gets to actually being there. You still don't yet have that tactile aspect with physical cardboard and plastic, but maybe the illusion of depth and better, better audio presence would bring the experience close enough to reality that the emptiness I feel with Board Game Arena would be much, much less. Board Game Arena is still going to be a great thing for my class, and much of the cognitive aspect of the game doesn't change too much, at least I don't think so, in the terms of the decisions that you make. But I guess that is an open question. Maybe play and learning will differ quite a bit from doing it in a physical space versus doing it online. As they say, that's an empirical question and maybe one I'll pursue at some point. In addition to using Board Game Arena for my class, I'm also coming up with a list of games I can adapt for use to play over something like Zoom. I've capped the enrollment at 16. That's four sets of four, and about as many as I want to try to corral as we move through the various activities. Many role and rights are natural, so we'll be doing either Welcome To or Railroad Inc., both of which I've used in my physical class. Then there are games like Boggle or Scattergories where I can show them the materials they need and then they can play the game on their end and we can compare what people did at the end in a way that's not too different from doing it in person. I've also heard about games like Reverse Charades or Reverse Pictionary, which I think would be great when we talk about perception and attention near the beginning of the course. Some of you have probably seen Hey Robot being played by Jimmy Fallon on his late night talk show. That's a game I heard about before when it was just on Kickstarter. And I'm going to use that one to talk about theory of mind and artificial intelligence and other topics. These sorts of games I hope will bring in that physical and social aspect that's missing from Board Game Arena. But still, I worry, I worry it's not going to be the same. It might be the case that something different emerges from all this. That by interacting online, we'll still feel the camaraderie we get in the classroom, that same physical space, but it won't quite be the same. I hope not different bad, but just different. We'll see, and I'll report back. For the last two or three times I've done the course, I've had the students create their own games and present them on the last day of class. We're doing that again, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how this turns out, because they will have to work with the constraint that it has to be a game playable remotely. I'm totally excited to see what they come up with. The cognitive psychology is still the important thing, and I emphasize that's what has to take precedence, because, hey, it is a psychology class, not a game design class. But there's been a project or two every semester where I'm like, wow, with maybe a bit more work, this would be a game you could pitch or maybe kickstart. Students can be really creative, and I'm often impressed with how they wrap the cognitive psychology in and occasionally amazed with the game they come up with. That brings us to the close of this episode, which has been more of a soliloquy on what I've been thinking about for my May term course, particularly as it relates to playing games online, at least those games that traditionally you would play face-to-face and using a board. I'll report back how it goes. I'm always interested in any comments or questions you may have, but this time even more so. 
If you have any suggestions for games to play over Zoom or other ways to interact with my students, I would love to hear them. As I'm finishing writing this, I see that Board Game Geek has a wiki page called The Distance Gaming Guide that I'll link to in the show notes. Please email me, steve at cognitivegamer.com, or for this, please use my work email, which is sblessing at ut.edu. You can also visit my website, cognitivegamer.com. Also, you can like me on Facebook, Cognitive Gamer, or hit me up on Twitter at cognitive underscore gamer. And if you like the podcast, please give a rating in whatever service you use to play podcasts. Just like victory points, higher is better. This will make it easier for people to discover. Until next time, remember to think about what you play and have fun doing it.